0: Would you open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, before Pastor Howard comes and opens this chapter to us. I want to read this chapter. Let's stand. We don't often do this in honor of the word. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, so then men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes, and he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from him. Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your, beh- for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, Do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not take pride in one man over against another. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have become kings. And that without us. How I wish you had really become kings so that we might be kings with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like men condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. We are fools for Christ. But you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored. We are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Therefore I urge you to imitate me. For this reason I am sending you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will, remain, he will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus which agrees with, which I, with what I taught everyone in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how the, these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but power. What do you prefer? Shall I come with a whip or in love with a gentle spirit? May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of the word. Thank you. you may be seated.
1: Well, we come to the uh, conclusion in this first section of this book, in which Paul is not only defending the message of the cross, but he is uh, defending himself against those who are splicing the church up into factions and dividing the church. And one of their main factions is they're against Paul and his authority. So they've created other parties, other leaders, and that's a great way to split up the church and get their mind off of Paul and his message. And so he's wrapping up in chapter four uh, his argument, defending his message and defending that he truly was God's messenger. Uh, The way I would break down this chapter would be that the first five verses says uh, how he responds to Critics. Uh, I must say this. Uh, it's an interesting thing. The most popular verse, popular most popular verse quoted in the Bible today is this verse. Judge not that you be not judged. That's more. And yet, we've got to balance this matter of criticism because in chapter 5, he's going to tell us we should make judgment. Chapter 6, we ought to judge. We don't go to judicial courts. We can settle differences in the church. So there's a good side and a bad side of criticism. Uh, Criticism that is just picky and accusatory and impugns motives. Wrong, wrong. On the other hand, we're constantly being called upon to discern things are they right? Are they wrong? Is this proper? So, it's a two-edged sword. But Paul says, go ahead and criticize me. Uh, my life is governed by a greater judge than you. I'm living before an audience of one. Then he picks up in verses 5, or rather 6 through 7, he applies this, uh, uh, these critics out there to... Uh, they become conceited critics, and they're acting uh, as though they're in charge as though they know more than the man who led them to the Lord. And he raises the question, I've applied this to myself and Apollos. We don't think more of ourselves than what Scripture says. And we think of ourselves as servants of God and stewards of God's mysteries. We're not above you. We don't think we're better. We're just servants of God. But you conceited critics are telling us we're messed up on our message. You like philosophy more than the gospel. You like Athens more than you like Golgotha and Jerusalem. And you like Socrates more than you like me because I appeared so weak and unattractive to you, but I was the messenger of God that led you to the Lord. And so he's saying, what do you have that has made you so puffed up? You act like uh, you're self-made people, and that is a joke. There's no self-made people. Where did you get your brains? Some of us have doubts about if you got any. But where did you get the ones you've got? You didn't get to pick your parents. And Rich has some line that he used to say that to his dad. And he said, and thank God we didn't get to pick you. We're just stuck, something like that. You smart novel. I didn't get to pick you. Well, I didn't get to pick you. I'm just stuck. Something like that. Uh, where did you get your genes? Where did, see, it, it's so foolish. Where did, who, who gave you the right to be born where you can get an education? What, what makes you so good that you've got running water and you could drink water that doesn't give you dysentery and amoebic dysentery and kill you? Well, what makes you so much better than other human beings? You proud scoundrel, you. And he's taking on their conceit and pride. They're boasting. They're the arrogant authority. So he's responding to them. Apollos and I know we're but servants. We're within the boundaries of Scripture. But you guys are proud as though you're self-made. You inherently knew the gospel. knew it. When I found you, you were lost. You didn't know God. And now you've become these self-made authorities that wants to straighten out an apostle of all people. Uh, Pride always feeds on comparisons. And that's why it loves party spirit. It loves factions. C.S. Lewis says, you seldom have pride where you don't have comparisons. Uh, You see, you're never contented to be good. You always want to be better. You know, it's like, it's sometimes disastrous to visit a good friend that has more than you. You were contented until you saw their new house. And, and you know, uh, even, you know, us preachers go through it. Uh, God, you know, we have an apostolic touch on our life. And Bozo over here is running 200 more than us. It, it doesn't make sense. Have you heard him preach, Lord? I wouldn't walk across the street to get his album. And his wife is a little ugly. And then you come over here, and you're barely running 35. And and as that one guy said, you're having the best church you ever had. It's going down slower than any other church you've pastored. And, And we get in this all the time. I'm content until I see somebody that's got more. I'm content with my car till I see yours. I'm content with my kids until I realize all your kids have PhDs, they're doctors, and they're going to the moon. And my kids, I just cry if they pass their eye test. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so he's saying, pride, pride feeds on, I'm not just as good as you, I'm better. See, I'm better. So you got the birth of racism, soberness, uh, the economic class, rich, poor, uh, educated, uneducated. It goes on and on. It never ends. So he says, this pride, this where did you get this puffed up attitude? Uh, I thought you were going to hell when I met you. I thought you were lost people. And now you've become critical authorities, even of me and Apollos. And then he uh, will settle down and pick up and we have these notes in here. Don't let me find any in the bathroom trash cans. Five bucks for everyone on you. We're going to track you down. I have a, a secret uh, ink in here with your fingerprints. Uh, and we do this to help you. If there's no help, let's don't waste the paper. Uh, what I'm going to be doing, by the way, when we come to, come to First Corinthians 5 through 7, I want to try to design the service where we're maybe 30 minutes up front singing And I'm going to design Q&As because we're going to be dealing with church discipline, what to do with sex, what to do with people living in sin. And we're going to have Q&A at the end because uh, I want you to be able, we'll set it up where you could write in a question and deal with those things about these verses you don't understand. I don't want to just unload it on you. I'm willing to box with you and tell you what the Bible says about it. So, we'll be doing that as we come to chapter 5. But we're wrapping up this. Notice what he says. He compares himself, his credentials, uh, to his critics. And he picks up verse 8 through 13, some of the most humbling passages uh, in the Bible, uh, that these people are acting like They're already reigning. They've got it all. Their pride says, we've already got it. We've arrived. There's no more you can add to us. And Paul says, that's really interesting. I'm over here in warfare, and you're over here and complaining that the mall doesn't have the right kind of temperature. I'm over here in Iraq and Afghanistan fighting al-Qaeda and the Taliban, and you over here squawking that the mall parking was too crowded. What keeps this country free is not shoppers at malls, but guys that put on uniforms and risk their life to fight the enemy. And here Paul says, I'm wearing the uniform, and my critics are hanging out at the mall complaining about the service isn't good enough. Watch what he does. Already you have all you want. Now sarcasm is reeking in him. Already you have become rich. You have become kings, and it really is the word. You have become rulers. You're already ruling, like in the reign of Christ. And that without us. How I wish that you really had become kings so that we might rule with you. This contrast, just follow it. Uh, You have all you want. You're already rich. You're already reigning. Wow. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like men condemned to die in the arena. You're over here acting like you're in the millennial reign of Christ. You act like you've already got everything he promised for the future. And I'm over here running with a group of men that we feel like we're at the end of a triumphal march of a general coming into Rome down the Appian Way. And what they did, the leader of the war, the general... And his key officers behind him and the foot soldiers. And at the end, at the end, were people usually in chains. The people that would wind up in the arena, either put against the gladiators or they would be put out there. They would often tie animal skins on them and unleash lions. So, we're back here. We're at the end of the triumph. At the end of the march, we're headed for martyrdom we're headed for the arena. We've been captured by Christ and willing to die for Christ. And you guys are over here reigning and telling us we ought to do our ministry different. You're basking in comfort. We're struggling and suffering. He goes on. We are fools For Christ. I forgot we have been made a spectacle. The word is theater. We're the play. We're we're being a, a spectacle or a play before the whole universe, before angels and men. They're watching us. We're the display. And when they see us, they see fools for Christ. What made him a fool for Christ? He preached the foolishness of a crucified Messiah. He preached the foolishness to Athens. You cannot have a criminal die in the place of men and that be attractive. When will you get more philosophical, Paul? When will you catch up on the latest uh, Socratic method and the latest thing Plato said? He said, I didn't come to preach Plato or Socrates or philosophy or psychology. I came to preach a crucified Christ. That's what saved you, not philosophy. And I look like a fool and a moron. And I accept that reproach because the message itself makes us look like idiots. Are you ashamed of the gospel, he could say. In this Marketplace we are today. Uh, We're here in the church and we can talk to one another and feel comfortable. But you know, as I talk to different brothers and sisters in the church, in their workplace, if they work in certain uh, settings, to be uh, someone that believes in family values, morals, sex is for marriage. uh, And if you've got any convictions about anything, you are totally politically incorrect you will be put to the sideline, get out of the way, catch on, get sophisticated. We don't want you. We don't want the cross. We've even had people write us, take these crosses down. We're offended by them. They don't like them. They say it's right in their face. As we go on to Highway 4, take down the crosses. And there's much of church philosophy out there that says, Take away everything that will offend a visitor. Take, there's many churches got rid of Bibles. Get rid of the blood song for sure. I don't think we get rid of it. I think we tell you what it means. We want to tell you what it means. And we don't make fun of your ignorance so that if you bring your family, your friends, neighbors, we deserve to tell you what the language means. And, and we should not have church to bash sinners. I don't believe that. If you're a homosexual, if you're an adulterer, if you're a thief, you're welcome. You're just in sin, and you need Christ. And we'll love you in the meantime. But we don't have to apologize and bash you. We're not in the bashing business. Christ said, I already found you condemned. I don't have to waste much time on getting you condemned. It's getting you saved is the hard work. So we don't want church to be, I will hope he our latest politician. Oh, you'll do that at the polls. I don't need to do a sermon on it. Right? He said, we're fools because we identify with a foolish God if you consider the cross foolish. But you guys are so wise and sophisticated. You, you, you guys have the swagger. You probably are running for office we are weak but you are strong what a contrast i own the weakness of the apostolic preaching of the cross and my role i accept it but you guys are so strong Uh, you are honored we are dishonored to this very hour we go hungry and thirsty we are in rags it literally means scantily dressed, even naked. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we kindly answer. Up to this moment, we've become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. It's kind of interesting. I wanted to get the difference there. Uh, the first one, the scum, uh, it means that which is removed with thorough cleaning, like doing the dishes. You know, I think of a dried egg yolk. I'm just the dried egg yolk. That's what I want to get him under the water quick. I don't want to get hard. He said we're just that, and the other one means to scour, like with a, a SOS pad, a pan. All that's remaining in that pan, we're we're just what you throw out in the garbage. We, we know we're in the garbage heap of human worth and status. But it sure is terrible when the people we led to Christ look on us that way. He's taking on church people's attitude. And uh, I think something we need to beware of is I read Gordon Fee in this section and D.A. Carson. They said, what's alarming about it Is that the present day church in the West looks a lot more like the Corinthians than it does like Paul? We're in love with comfort. We've got more than any other civilized country, the average man. And uh, we're just set up to be Laodicean. We're bragging on our buildings, uh, what we make an hour, our portfolio, our money, our dress. Are educated. We're very impressed with ourselves, and I really don't know if I could get you to come out to an evening service. If I was going to put on a man like the Apostle Paul, I don't think you'd come. He's just—he's just too embarrassing. Come on, you want some guy that's not dressed sharp? You want a guy that? still has wounds from him for preaching and you say, well, I love the Bible just like you. Wait, 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 wait. You love it how much? As long as it's comfortable. As long as it's easy. How far would the gospel get if it depended on you? I um, found a Poem that by the way, I don't like anything about this message. It's too convicting to me. So uh, I read a poem written by Amy Carmichael, missionary to India. She says, From prayer that ask that I may be sheltered from winds that beat on thee, from fearing when I should, when I should, from faltering when I should climb higher, from silken self, O captain, free, thy soldier who would follow thee, from subtle love of softening things, from easy choices, weakenings, not thus are spirits fortified, not this way, with the crucified. From all that dims thy calvary, O Lamb of God, deliver me. Give me the love that leads the way, the faith that nothing can dismay, the hope no disappointments tire, the passion that will burn like fire. Let me not sink to be a clod. Make me thy fuel, flame of God. Let me read another one of her famous poems that she writes, Hast thou no scar, no hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archer's spent. Lean me against a tree to die and rent by ravening beasts that can pass me. I swooned, hast thou no wound? No wound, no scar. Yet as the master shall the servant be and pierced are the feet that follow me. But thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wound or scar? One of the hardest things to do is to stay saved and live in the West. To keep a burning heart in the midst of so much prosperity and love of ease. It's really, probably, so many American pulpits are so artificial because we've taught ministry should not be hard, suffering is out of the vocabulary talking with a pastor the other day, is all he's hearing about is benefit packages, how much I'm worth, how much I deserve, how much, how much, how much, how much. And seldom does anyone find anyone in the West that paid any kind of price to be in ministry. They just want a comfortable, easy, discover my great gifts, but don't expect any wounds, any scars, And God forbid the people would. They're too busy being critical of the servants of God to ever give up any comfort themselves. So the two-thirds world is sending missionaries to us. D.A. Carson writes, I think, insightfully, Paul is not so naive as to think every Christian should ideally suffer the same amount. He said, God has set forth as apostles, as special sufferers. In fact, in one passage, he testifies to his willingness to take on a disproportionate share of sufferings. So that others might be relieved. But what is at stake for Paul is a fundamental stance, a way of looking at things. We may summarize it, and this is Carson with three points. Number one, we follow... A crucified Christ. My life's calling is not to be the CEO of a corporation where the bottom line is profit. Piper writes in the same area when he argues we are not professionals. And his point is you don't pay professionals to be martyrs. You don't pay for festivals to sometimes work without adequate pay and go through a whole lot of hell in order to rescue men from hell. You, you don't sign up for that. You don't go to Harvard to become a sufferer. And yet Paul could say, I tell you, Timothy, if you choose to be godly, hear your father in the faith, you will suffer persecution. 2 Timothy 3, 12. Who in the world wants to pick up the responsibility of preaching, teaching, pastoring, evangelizing if the price is too high? Wait, wait. Are we not called to follow a suffering Messiah? You didn't get saved with him sitting on a throne in the suburbs of heaven. You didn't get saved because he was afraid of pain, suffering, alienation, spit, rejection. You get saved because God himself said, "It will cost me a lot to save one sinner, and I will pay the price." That's who he calls us to follow. I'm not following Bill Hybels, and I'm not following John MacArthur. I'm following a crucified, risen Messiah. And no sacrifice for this Messiah should ever insult me to make. But all oh, in a Western church world with comfort, nice cars, good pay, we know hardly nothing about it. We have to read history to even get a sense of it. I'm not worthy. I am not worthy to ever be in this category too wimpy, too whiny, and had it too good. Now, I'm not volunteering today for you to drop my salary. I've got a few more things to pay off. And I'm not volunteering for anybody to beat me up after the service so I can go in the Fox's Book of Martyrs. And that's what Carson is saying. Paul said, God set us forth as men... But imagine having to say this, his credentials to his critics is, what has it cost you to bear this message? I may not have done it the way you like. You don't think I'm sophisticated enough. Oh, I'm plenty sophisticated. I sat at the feet of Gamaliel. I'm one of the most brilliant men of the ancient Near East. He probably spoke five languages. He was no dummy, but I have been captured. I will know nothing among you but Christ crucified, who is the wisdom of God and the power of God. I'm devoted. I've chosen my message and my path. That's what he's saying. He's no little Twinkie that is coming out of some uh, remote uh, place in Appalachia that never knew there was a New York City. He is a metropolitan man. He's a thinker. But I've been captured by the cross. And whatever it costs me to make that message known, he chooses it. What Has it ever cost you anything to walk with Christ? Does your Christianity have any scars or wounds? Are you just too busy criticizing what we do around here and wish we did it better? And there's plenty to be critical of. You know, I often tell the Lord this God, I want to tell you something. I, I, do you ever like to just catch God up on things? It's hard to keep omniscience informed, but I like to do it. God, by the way, we aren't the best thing on the block. We aren't the best, but I want to give you my best. Now, if somebody else can do it better, they're held to a higher standard, aren't they? Now, some of you can't even find C on a piano. You can't even find middle C. And, and do us a favor of not trying. <laughs> Others know. They know how to make a demolished chord. See, you don't know the difference. It's a diminish. It's not demolish. But see, that you'll be judged by a different standard. You know, you know more. Sometimes I don't want to know more because I know knowledge brings responsibility. And so I pray, keep me dumb, Lord. Then I won't have to do anything. But we're not the best, but God deserves our best. You got to ask yourself, in light of this, are we? What are we offering God? Leftovers? Listen to what He says this very hour we go hungry we're thirsty we're in rags we're brutally treated we work hard with our own hands that was an insulting statement because no itinerary a teacher of any standing was supposed to work with his hands the greeks despise manual labor they praised the mind being cerebral and he says i'm a teacher that worked with leather, made tents and worked like leather goods. Not just tents, but I I made shoes perhaps. I made coats. I paid my own expenses and I did manual labor for the privilege of evangelizing you. I'm not ashamed of hard work. Would you work with your hands if that's what it required to get the gospel out? Or are you a $100,000 a year preacher? Well, you got to pay me so much to get me. You people don't have a clue what's going on there. Look what he says. He goes on to say, When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we're slandered, we answer kindly. That, that used to always bother me. When can the preacher get mad? What I loved when I was unsaved, and I was hot-headed, especially in sports. It a, I was really a wonderful guy until sports. If you hacked me, I wanted to smack you. And when I loved when I was unsaved, I could cuss you and I could hit you. And I got immediate relief. Not done damage, but I felt relieved. It's been hard to do that in the church. We have some healing. Can you imagine? You dirty so-and-so, boom. I love you in Jesus' name. Don't ever do that again. In the church, you're always supposed to be Mr. Nice. Mr. Nice. Especially, we pay you to be good. The rest of us are good for nothing. I mean, however that came out. Yeah. Uh, Up to this moment, we have become the scum. Uh, We know that. Now, he's going to close his argument. And his argument, now I'm going to appeal to you as children. And this is an interesting verse. Jesus said in Matthew 23, let no man call you father. And that meant there the authoritative, absolute authority of a father like the rabbis wanted. Tell you what to do. Here, Paul says... I'm your father and the Lord. Matter of fact, treat me like your father. Interesting. You know how he became their father? He evangelized them and led them to the Lord. He calls Timothy, my son. My son and the Lord. So Jesus says, absolute authority and preeminence over your brothers, I forbid. This use of father is affectionate concern. You don't know what it's like to father somebody in Christ and to mentor them in their infancy and then see them get an attitude. Then bringing out the father in him. Listen, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ, I became your father through the gospel. Listen to what he says. I urge you to... Anybody have it? I'm not just whistling Dixie about what I'm doing here. I want you to imitate me, not the critics. Jesus said something that uh, I don't think any of us like. But God doesn't take orders from us. He says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. I ask you this, what if a person doesn't want to deny themselves? Could you call them a follower of Christ? For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Lose my life? You're talking metaphorically, aren't you, Jesus? First generation, it wasn't metaphorical. Plenty of martyrs. Lots of martyrs. And there's a lot of martyrs happening right today in the world. Many are being martyred. What good is it for a man if he gained the whole world and loses his own soul? So we must know this. We are following a crucified Christ. Let us not be surprised or shocked if suffering is on the way. The second thing, and Carson makes the point, that uh, leaders, uh, leaders in the church suffer the most. They should probably because they model to the people of God how to suffer. That's one thing, as Pastor Rich and I have talked many times, it's one thing American Christians know little about how to survive suffering with grace and to respond like Christ. We act like God has insulted us if He ever permits suffering. On any level, health issues, Economic downturn, uh, maybe a negative word to us. And I'm not here, I'm not masochistic, and I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, but you ought to feel as guilty as I feel when I look here. That here's this model that he tells me to imitate, and I ask, How in the world am I following this model? I'm more inclined to the Corinthian model. I want to reign. I want wages. I want comfort. And God knows I've preached in this church for a lot less money than I'm given now. And those are my glory that I preach the gospel without a salary and God met my needs anyway. And so I'm not a hireling because you're good to us. But does it not make me accountable for what I have to not be conceited not to be proud, not to hoard, not to think, well, I, I get a good check because I am somebody, you know, I'm worth a lot. No, 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 no. It's why I cannot be around any kind of ministry that's sacrificing without it melting my heart and say, they must love the message. They must love Christ. Because the test of New Testament leadership is how much would you suffer? to do your job. Are you that committed? And he weeded out a lot of people. And Jesus said, that's fine. You'll have to deny having a big retirement account as your goal if you follow me. I think of Veda Landry in this church. She and her husband both raised on the mission field by both missionary parents. I met her parents when you were There's just a quality when I meet those kind of people. I'd give up anything to make Christ known. It's different. Because I'm so used to being around the Corinthian, California. We're somebody. We deserve the best because we are the best. And I'm saying, God, keep me in the midst of such arrogance and such lukewarmness. We don't know what the boil looks like anymore. We're so used to tame Christianity. And he goes on to say to them, when he comes to them, he will not inquire about their speech, but he'll look for a display of power. An idea probably is, what I'm talking about is action, not talk. The cross was action, it wasn't talk. My ministry is action, not I just preach, I suffer, I do without, I pay any price. Some of you are nothing but talk. You Corinthians love speech makers. You love rhetoric. You you love elocution. You love philosophy. But the kingdom of God wasn't built on philosophy. It was built on a suffering, crucified Christ. The power of God was unleashed through a sacrificial lamb. And I, when I come among you, I'm not looking for the talkers. I'm looking for the doers, looking for those whose lives have been transformed. Got a lot of folks, you just fill a pew once in a while. and thank you, serving God. You are deceived. That makes you no follower. This is feeding time. This is a regrouping time to edify one another, to stimulate you to good work. This is a bonus. This is a little bit of heaven on earth that we even as a body of saints can come together in pagan Bay Area and worship God. This is one of your treats. This isn't your service. You haven't served yet. I'm serving you. You're taking it in and saying, I hope he studied this week. Because I'm going to check his points. Do it, honey. Do it. I've been doing it 39 years. I ain't afraid of anyone taking notes. Because I studied all week. Bring it on. I ain't guessing. I didn't start this church to play pope. You don't rent a dance hall with skunks under the floor and beer cans on the exit to be impressive. I just thought the gospel's worth bringing to the Bay Area. And what we have now, I'm not in love with. It's just a means. We still got to get the message out, whatever it costs. I made a note there. I don't want any of you music people to go zonkers because you say, ooh, he's finally agreeing with me. We ought to sing more of the hymns, and we should. But I want to clarify a point. When I said on my notes there, we don't sing... Some of these songs, I'm not talk, making a big boast. What I mean, we don't sing the sentiments of songs that uh, if you're under 40, you've never heard them because uh, you grew up on bands. Uh, but did you ever, I mean, hear a word like this? Wait, 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 wait now listen, listen to me, everybody, listen. Don't you look. Did you ever in a meeting have a meeting closed, and they would sing this, not at the beginning of the service. It's the worst time to sing it. But at the end of the service, you sing. I, let me see, I want to get the first stanza. I think I typed it down here. Let me see. I'm confused. And the church said, amen. I knew you would. That's why I appreciate Paul and the Corinthians. I surrender all, all to Jesus. I don't know if I'll give it. It says, I freely give. You know why we don't sing that song? Because we're a bunch of liars if we're not willing to give him everything. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all except the unsaved girl I'm going with that I'm having sex with. Uh, I surrender but it doesn't mean I gotta be pure I surrender but I won't tithe oh you liar don't say surrender then church is a terrible place to lie wait till you get outside lie out on the parking lot he won't strike you as quick but I remember when God was tugging at my heart as a kid we'd sing that and I was actually thought the words were supposed to be true of me and I I was wrestling with breaking up with a gal. I was wrestling with, he's going after everything I like to do, fight, steal, and make out. Said, you mean if I follow you, Jesus, I gotta break up? Yeah. Whew, what a sacrifice at the foot of the cross. I gotta get up smacking the guy once in a while? Yeah. You're not that good anyway. You better before you get killed. We amplify all sacrifices and we look like martyrs in our own eyes. I surrender all. All to thee I freely give. I wonder if I could sing it today. We used to sing this song, I could never get through it at a youth camp. In 59, they used to sing this at the end of the service. That's where I surrendered to be a, a teenage preacher, 15 years old, knew nothing. But it went this way. It may not be on the mountain's height or over the stormy sea. It may not be at the battle's front. My Lord will have need of me. But if by a still, still, small voice... He calls me to paths I do not know. I'll answer. Dear Lord, my hand in mine, I'll go where you want me to go. And here is the refrain. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord, over mountain or plain or sea. I'll say what you want me to say, dear Lord. I'll be what you want me to be. Jim Snyder's in this church. He was at that camp with me. He was meeting girls at the soda fountain in Dayton and everything. And the guys, that's four of us in a tent. They were nearly embarrassed. They never saw a man weep so much. I was just a teenage punk. I wept for five days. I never wept more in any time in my life because I was trying to say, I'll go. I don't know where it's going to be, but I'll go. I'll be. I don't know what you want me to be, but I'll be. I'll say whatever you want me to say. And I left that camp driving a stake down. You be the boss for the rest of my life, and I'll do whatever you say. And that's what I'm trying to keep today. If it's to start in another dance hall, resign this church. Just this week, one of our men directed me to a pastor of a large church, Southern Cal. Resigned it after 16 years. Thousands of people. Wants to go to Thailand to help rescue girls out of the sex slave market. You fool for Christ! Christ! You're in Simi Valley. You've got the bucks. You've got the paydays. Man, you're a national known speaker. Don't be an idiot and go over and save girls from being prostitutes. You idiot. And he says, I think if I could rescue one girl from being turned into a prostitute at the age of 11, my life will not be in vain. And the rest of us are hoping we get a church that big And we can be that slick, and we can be that popular. And he, in the midst of all of it, says, no. Let me end. Teddy Roosevelt in Paris gave this great lecture, and I lift one part of it. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better They're too busy criticizing those in it. Paul says, Corinthians, you might be reigning, but I'm suffering because I'm following a crucified Christ. And I say to you, who are you following? Who's your model? Paul tells him, imitate me, be willing to suffer, and God will take care of the amount, the kind, the place. But at least say, I'll follow Jesus. Take this whole world, but give me Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Our Father, we daily want to surrender all and not act as the masters or the captain of our soul. We want to be that under rower that takes orders. You're the boss, you're the captain. You're the navigational chair. We don't know where to go. We don't know anything in a confusing world. You do. Father, at least let us not despise suffering for the sake of the cross. You haven't asked us to flagellate ourselves or even to act like we're martyrs. Let us not get a self-pity spirit. Let us know how to abound without losing our boil and our heart for you. You you say, Laodicea, you say you're rich. You say you've got it all. You don't need anything. And yet when I look on, I see so much emptiness, so much froth, so much hollowness. You're You're so empty. How many Christians used to serve that don't serve? How many uh, in this place are spectators? Basically, a lot of them good people, Lord, but they've never got in the yoke. You don't get anything done for them. They're just not available. They don't want to fail. They want to look good. And how many of us, poor preachers, Lord, are always being told what we're worth and get our egos puffed up and we're insulted if any suffering or hardship is identified with our calling? I pray, deliver us from being so wimpy. Let us pray for a suffering church all over the globe, praying for uh, the underpaid missionary, the neglected pastor out in some remote area, expected to do everything and please everyone. Father, youth through thick and thin have seen fit to put me among a people that at sometimes I feel or bury me to heaven on beds of ease I've been treated so well. Forgive me for every complaining moment. Forgive me for every uh, murmuring time I've had. It's your long suffering and your patience that's put up with me and congregation. So at least let us be humble that we belong to such a patient God. And let us ask the question, what is there in my life I wouldn't surrender to follow Jesus? What price would be too high when God gave His only begotten Son? Talk to these people as you've made me numb with the text this week. I feel unfit to deliver it. But I preached what you said, although I do not claim to have imitated it yet. Go with us. Help us to thank on you and the suffering you were willing to go through to make us your own. In Jesus' name, amen.